The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. After seeing the sonogram, Wyman wrote, you are quite possibly the most important person I will ever meet. You will completely transform every aspect of my life, my world, my orientation towards everything I experience. You are the best thing I have ever seen, and I am so happy. Probably I have never been before in my life. But then I've never really been the sort of person, have I, to just accept my happiness at face value. Your existence, if I said, demands something of me. It calls me to help you live a good life. And so seeing you as I did today thus poses me. I know it must sound a little silly to express it this way, given the circumstances, but there are only, they're the only words I can find. It's a particular philosophical problem. Because is such a good life possible for you, for any child born today, for anyone who might one day be alive in this world at all? And if it's not, what then? Indeed, what then? It's not just a first-time father who happens to be a philosopher that wonders about the future, the chances for a good life for their children, the demands and joys that parenting requires, all those feelings and questions, concerns bundled together. This is a question I'm sure parents throughout the ages have asked and all have worried about the same thing. But this question of the good life, the responsibilities to make sure that life goes on, is not just for parents. It's for all grown-ups. How will I bring something life-affirming, some form of life's flourishings, something generative into the world? How do I learn to raise some hope, send it out into the world, do some good long after I'm gone? We find ourselves in precarious times. We are part of an ecosystem ravaged by racism, rising temperatures, the onslaught of climate destruction, cultural and class divisions, endless wars and systemic violence, haywire politics, and the devastation of a global pandemic. Despair is everywhere, leading us into states of cynicism, resignation, or worse, fatalism. What future, we might ask? My father's father found himself in such a place. He came to America as a teenager, leaving behind his family in Latvia with hopes and expectations of making a good life for himself and his family back home. Relatives took him in, but it was for him to make his way. He became a hat salesman traveling the eastern shoreboard. Eventually, he married and had two children. 
Money was always tight and poverty was just around the corner. My grandparents fought bitterly. My father and aunt told stories of cowering in the kitchen pantry while tempers flew. And then came the worst of the worst. My grandfather, it's believed, committed suicide. He disappeared on a sales trip, traveling on a boat to New York. His body was never found. Hope in the Jacks family was hard to find. For my father, hope arrived when aunts and uncles and cousins reached out and drew him in. School was a sanctuary and the synagogue gave structure. Out of the loss and despair, some light made its way in. School, fraternity, extended family, and faith gave my father a reason to hope. He was forward-focused and rarely looked back. And when his chance came to raise a little hope, he reveled in it. This is the thing about hope. We need to nurture it. Hope keeps us going. We need to fight that heavy pull of fatalism and instead brace, embrace our inner natalist, the one who sees the beauty and the possibility in life and in bringing things to life. We need to believe in the inherent good that comes out of our creations and help sustain and nurture all life. Being hopeful is hard work but it's the work that is most needed right now. Hope, says the famous bachelor philosopher Immanuel Kant, is what undergirds all things. Without it, we are doomed to an endless and pointless toil. Kant wrote that we have a responsibility to be hopeful, to look forward, to imagine, and bring something worthy, something life-giving into the world. I think that's what Tom saw when he stared into that sonogram. In that instance, he knew, he saw his life anew, that there would be life beyond him. He was now part of a larger story. What I think Tom felt was an active hope, not that kind that sits on the couch waiting for hope to magically arrive. Rather, active hope is when we take responsibility, cultivate it, and put it into practice. It is a hope that's willing to get a little dirty, mix it up, take some risks. We need to teach ourselves to be hopeful people, and we need teachers to teach us. Kant, as I said, believed that hope was what undergirds all things. Why, there, why bother knowing anything if there's nowhere to go? Others, other thinkers see hope as an emotional response, a deep feeling that calls you forward. For the ancient philosophers, hope was a virtue, a moral good, something to practice and perfect. And then there's deep hope, an idea promoted by the religion scholar Mark Riker. D 
deep hope, says Riker, is rooted in togetherness. A togetherness is not a togetherness that is not future directed, but fully present. He writes, this kind of present hope has a rich history in cultures that have endured tremendous suffering. Deep hope is a way of being together in the face of what is, connected to purpose, a hope in action that seeks to rebuild what is broken. This kind of deep hope is rooted in the story of Juneteenth, which celebrated its 155th anniversary yesterday, and this past Friday was declared a national holiday. Juneteenth is the day when news finally reached Texas, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was delivered that slavery was abolished. Imagine the deep hope needed to carry the light through the evils of slavery. Jim Crow, civil rights, Black Lives Matter. We have a moral responsibility to keep this deep hope alive. For our father philosopher, Tom Wyman, hope is an attitude that we carry with us and bring into the world. That attitude seeks out possibilities, looks to the future and takes action. Maybe you plant a little hope or build it, nurture it at the playground, study hope, sing about it, speak it out loud or whisper it into someone's ear. Maybe you write a tell-all book sharing all of Hope's secrets. Or maybe you pick up a tattered cloth and slowly stitch it back together. However we go about raising a little hope, we must practice together and learn from each other as best as we can. Hope can't do it alone. It needs us. If we say yes to life, we must fight the impulse to give in to fatalism and not let our hearts harden. But how to keep from being hardened? That was on the mind of the, and heart of father and poet Ahmad Johnson talking about raising two black sons. He asks, how do I protect their hearts from being hardened? How do I encourage them to love? History is helpful, he says. Family, culture. We are here because we are people who chose how to anticipate a better life. We try and remodel that beauty, self-care, how we demonstrate that love as a couple so they know they are supported and that they are a product of something special. Beauty, family, history, self-care, support, love, these are the things that can soften the heart and let hope in.
Philosopher Theodore Adorno grew up in Germany during World War II. The devastation of the war had left people despairing, disconnected and isolated from each other. How, he wondered, would hope rise up from the ashes of war? The answer to the despair, he wrote, was to seek redemption and bring forward our compassion. This softening of the heart helps us think of ourselves and makes us aware that something is wrong. We must teach our children to be sensitive in the first instance of their own suffering. Help them understand suffering in others and in themselves. Then we must first be practitioners of compassion and believers in redemption. We must show them through attitude and action that out of hardship, life can break through. We are part of a greater whole, stitched together across time. It is both our responsibility and I hope our desire to keep stitching the story of how life continues to grow and flourish after we're gone. It will take softened hearts and a can-do attitude. This is what hope asks of us. Hope is calling us to action. I think of Mari's father, wrestling to save his boat and save himself. What lifted him up out of those waters? I think it was hope, hope that was nurtured by family and a community that held him, a hope that carried him and then his family from Tampico to Texas. Here's the thing about hope. It's bigger than you and me. Hope, like any child, makes a demand of us to see beyond ourselves. We are the ones who must keep hope alive for those who will follow and pick up the thread. One last story before we go. A few months ago, the children's author Eric Carle died at the age of 91. When he was young, he hoped to be a builder of bridges. Instead, he became an illustrator and writer. Carl is the author of The Hungry Caterpillar, one of many of his beloved books. In an interview, he recalled moving back to Germany as a young boy following the war. He and his father took frequent walks in nearby meadows, exploring all the bugs and butterflies, peeling back the bark to see who lived there, but always putting the back bark in place in respect to nature. In the story, we meet a young caterpillar who eats his way through fruits and berries, sandwiches and sweets, filling his belly until it's time to build his cocoon. And slowly, he emerges, transformed into a colorful butterfly. 
This simple story has inspired children for over 50 years, inviting them to explore the idea of how life emerges and how life is transforming. It's a story of hope, Carl says. Children need hope. Indeed, they do. Friends, there are hurricanes to come, and there are fires in our future. Some will say it's time to lift the fatalist flag and call it quits. I say no. There's a different picture, one you saw in a sonogram or heard in a song. Maybe a writer wrote it straight from the heart and you felt something loosen or you crossed a bridge only to find an open vista. Dear ones, dear, dear ones, dare yourself to feel the pulse of life flourishing all around you, that pulse that has been moving since the beginning of time and brought you here, you, you, you. And it has a request, don't give up. Life is counting on you to see it through. And P.S. Tom and Edie had a beautiful baby boy.
The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.